This is the podcast for RUF at Wake Forest. RUF exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, the lost and the found, the burned and the bored, the cynical and the spiritual. Whoever you are and whatever your story, RUF exists for you. For more information, check out our Instagram at RUF Wake Forest. Now, here's today's teaching. I'm going to read Obadiah verses 1 through 9. This is the word of the Lord. It is trustworthy and true, and he gives it to us in love. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The, heart of, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If the thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. And that day declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those, who, those of understanding and the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, Teman, will be terrified and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I forgot to introduce Matt. So uh, Matt is one of our interns with RUF here, and um, we got to hear from him last semester, and really excited that you're uh, sharing with us tonight. So this is Matt. Y'all, we're really glad to be back with you here tonight. Um, One of the dirty little secrets of doing campus ministry at Wake Forest is that even though this is our job, this is actually something that we really love to do. And a big part of it is getting to spend time with y'all. And that means that uh, the last few months where y'all haven't been a part of a large group, at least in person, has been sad. And it's just really sweet to be able to see y'all and to be able to have y'all like in the building with us. Um, so that be- with that being said, uh, we're continuing a series on the Minor Prophets called Postcards from the Edge. Uh, we're going through all the different Minor Prophets, and as you just heard uh, with daily reading this passage, uh, this postcard is really on the edge. Um, People are murdered. God is angry. He pronounces a judgment on a people so great that those people would have wished that it was thieves and robbers who came to them and not God. Uh, And it's when we get to passages like this that the saying, God's word is trustworthy and true and is given to us in love, it's when that really hits home. Because... I don't know what your reaction was when you heard that, um, but I'm guessing you had some questions. I'm guessing there were some parts that you might have outright disagreed with, some parts that struck your sensibilities of who God is and what he's supposed to do for his people. Um, And so my encouragement to all of us um, is not necessarily that we would understand everything that's going on here, but that we would trust our God. Trust that his word actually is true, and trust that he actually does give it to us in love. Um, 
And with that, the way I think I want to start this is uh, I want to ask a question. And, and the question is, uh, when something goes wrong, what do you do? When something goes wrong, what do you do? Uh, one of the answers, I think, is that when something goes wrong, we look to the person who's in, who's in authority and says, are you going to deal with that? Um, a small example of this is that Susan, my wife, and I were babysitting for Robbie and Ellis, uh, or not babysitting, dog sitting and house sitting. <laughs> <laughs> they have a dog, not a baby. Um, we were uh, dog sitting and house sitting for them over the weekend, and the way that we divided up the responsibilities was Susan did the house sitting and I did the dog sitting. And if you've had the pleasure to, of meeting Robbie and Ellis' new puppy, his name is Lincoln, and he's literally one of the most adorable dogs you will meet in your entire life. However, he's like three or four months old, which means that you can look at him for five seconds, and then he's just like cute, picture perfect, what you would want your dog to be, and then you turn your back, and then he's chewing on your hat. And then you turn your back again, and then he's chewing on the blanket. And it's just over and over and over. He's a ridiculous dog. We love him. Um, but since I was the one who was the dog sitter, when Lincoln would do something ridiculous, she would look at me, and she wouldn't say it, but her look would say, are you going to deal with that? And I had to deal with it. Um, but it, this principle works in broader terms than that. Like when you see a child acting out in public and he's with his parents, you kind of look at the parents and say, hey, are you going to deal with that? Um, or maybe even more seriously, uh, I don't know if y'all remember the Syrian refugee crisis. This is something that happened a few years ago, uh, and it was when the Syrians were experiencing some incredible violence in their own country, uh, and they tried to flee to other countries. But as they fled, uh, these refugees, they were shot, they were whipped, they were imprisoned. Some of them were even sexually assaulted. The list seriously goes on and on and on. And one study said that almost every Syrian refugee experienced at least one form of violence um, as they were on their way. And in the United States, when we heard reports about that, uh, almost immediately we turned to our government and said, are you going to deal with that? Y'all, this plays out in every facet of our lives. When something goes wrong, we look to the authority and say, are you going to deal with that? Um, and in Obadiah, God is the authority. And in Obadiah, we see God dealing with evil. And so that being said, there are three things uh, that I want us to look at. First, it's the great evil of the Edomites, the people in this passage. Uh, it's God's great judgment, and it's also his great redemption. So the three things, the great evil, the great judgment, and the great redemption. Um, so first, the great evil. Um, for a little bit of context, uh, I was also talking with Susan about this, and she suggested that I keep it simple. Um, there are two people groups in this passage. One is the Edomites, and the other is the Israelites. For simplicity's sake, I'll put it this way. You have the bad people, who are the Edomites, sinning against the good people, who are the Israelites. Um, and God judges the Edomites, or the bad people. Um, but even before the Edomites had come into the picture, the Israelite city had been destroyed, uh, and many of their people had already been killed. People had to flee, and when the Edomites saw that the Israelites were suffering, they used it as an opportunity to prey on them. Um, this wasn't in what Daily Ray read for us, but if you look right afterwards, 
as the Israelites were running defenseless. In verse 12, you see that the Edomites gloated over their misery. Uh, not only did they gloat in verses 12 and 13, you see that the Edomites joined in on the fight, that they were literally gloating over fallen Israelites as they looted and killed them. Uh, and then in verses 14 and following, you see that not only did the Edomites do that, but in something that is a very strong parallel to the Syrian refugees, as the Israelites were fleeing, uh, the Edomites waited for them on the city streets and cut them down. They like laid in wait for this defenseless people and killed them. Um, and the question that I have for you is, uh, do you see yourself in this text? Do you see yourself here? Have you suffered at the hands of an evil person like this? Or have you been this evil to somebody? I'm guessing that the answer is no. And this is one of the places where it can really seem like Obadiah is too far out to apply to us. But on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. He says, you have heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Do you see the equivalency that God is making here? Uh, yes, getting angry at a friend is different from killing them. That point is important to clarify. Jesus is not saying that if you've gotten angry at your friend that you should punish yourself as a murderer. But that doesn't mean that we're left off the hook. Jesus is saying that if you kill someone, you will be liable to judgment. And if you're angry with someone, you will be liable to judgment. Your anger is evil, just like murder is evil. And those two things really don't seem like they make sense. Um, but Dan Allender, who is a Christian counselor, argues uh, that they do. And he says that when we get angry with someone the way that Jesus is talking about, the reason is that it's so evil is because it's what he calls soul murder. He says this, Few of us today face the threat or reality of physical attack, but all of us endure emotional assaults that range from frustration to anger to rage in daily, countless encounters. The events often seem trivial, and often the assault is as subtle as the upturned eyes of a friend who thinks that our thought was foolish. The fact is, we face anger daily, and unless it is unexpected or blatantly overt, overt we tend to relegate that experience to that's just the way it is. We think that, the, that our anger, or the ways that we mistreat others, isn't really that bad. And honestly, we think that the way that we've been mistreated isn't really that bad. But Dan Allender, and I, don't th and I think Jesus, don't let us get off that easy. Like the upturned eyes of a friend, or a disdainful comment from a professor, or a insult that really hits home. Have you ever thought about those things as being a kind of emotional assault. Um, the hardest conversation that I ever had in college uh, felt like an emotional assault. It, it was over the course of three hours, and the person hit me right where it hurt over and over and over again, and literally in that moment ripped our relationship apart. And y'all, I left that conversation and I cried because it felt like my heart was shredded inside of me. In that moment, I think I was emotionally assaulted. And I don't say that to play the victim. I don't say that to feel sorry for myself or pity myself. I say that to drive home the point that even though we're not an Israelite, evil is a part of our everyday lives. 
Like, evil really is a part of y'all's everyday life. I mean, have you ever been emotionally assaulted? I mean, if we're putting it in these terms, do you know what that feels like? I mean, do you know what it feels like to experience soul murder? I think, and it took me more reflection than I thought it would. After a lot of reflection, I realized that yes, I had. And I would guess for y'all, after a lot of reflection, the answer would also be yes. Um, And y'all, we, like the Israelites, experience evil all the time. To push it even further, we do have the privilege of living in a relatively peaceful society. And it is a privilege. But we still experience all kinds of evil, even over and above emotional assault. If you've watched the news lately, physical assault is just now a part of the way that people in our country engage with each other. Uh, I don't know what kind of house that you come from, but domestic abuse is part of many people's stories. Sexual assault happens all the time. We may live in a modern society, but this text is not too far out to apply to us. Um, We experience evil all the time. We just don't have the words to name what's going on. And y'all, when we experience evil, our hearts cry out along with the Israelites, will anyone deal with this? Which brings us to the second thing. Great judgment. In response to the question, will anyone deal with this? This is what God says. As you, Edom, have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. In the day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom? Will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, Taman, will be terrified and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. That prophecy was directed at the Edomites, but it was actually written for the Israelites to see. Because think what this would communicate to an abused people. In this, God is saying, I see your pain, I hear your cries, and I will deal with it. And he did. About a hundred years after this letter, Edom's land was invaded and it was destroyed. And to this day, what used to be a flourishing city is now just a mountain in a desert. God dealt with it. He is a God of great judgment. And when I say that, I want to stop and check in for a second. Like, how are you doing with all of this? Does this seem true to your experience? And Because I imagine there are a few places that you could go with this. You might be feeling uncomfortable that we're talking about evil being a daily reality. Uh, maybe you don't feel uncomfortable. Maybe you just disagree. Maybe you feel confused or even angry because God apparently slaughtered an entire group of people. Um, There's a book called Is God a Moral Monster? And the title itself is worth its weight in gold. Um, It's an excellent question. Is God a moral monster? And it might give words to what you're feeling. Is Jesus my God, the one who says that he loves me, who says that he loves my friends, Is he really a moral monster? No, he's not. And Miroslav Volf, who's a British philosopher, argues that the reason we struggle so much with that question is is because we don't think the evil we commit and the evil that has been committed against us is really all that bad. He says this, Try telling a people whose cities and villages have been first plundered, then burned and leveled to the ground, 
whose daughters and sisters have been raped, whose father and brother have had their throats slit. Try telling them that God is not a God of judgment. To put it another way, if God is not a God of judgment, when someone experiences evils and cries out, is anyone going to deal with this? If he is not a God of judgment, all we can say is no. No one ultimately is going to deal with this. But there's also another reason that this should make us uncomfortable. Have you ever gotten angry with somebody? Have you ever emotionally assaulted someone? Have you made yourself an enemy of God such that a people can cry out against you, will anyone deal with him? Will anyone deal with her? I have. Now the Israelites felt this too. We've read a lot of minor prophets so far in the series, and most of the prophets that, or most of the people the prophets have been preaching to are God's own people. It's the Israelites. At times, Israel was just as evil as Edom. And is God going to deal with them? And when we put it in these terms, we don't say anymore with righteous indignation, is God going to deal with that? When we look at our own life, the righteous indignation is gone. Instead, it's more like we look at God with fear and trepidation, like, are you really going to deal with me like that? Is God really going to deal with us according to our evil? Uh, that brings us to the third thing, great restoration. Because, y'all, it really seems like it. If you read the Old Testament, it really seems like God is going to deal with his people uh, because of their evil. In the book of Hosea, which John preached on for us uh, a couple weeks ago, God says this to the Israelites. You have planted wickedness, you have reaped evil, you have eaten the fruit of deception. Because you have depended on your own strength and on your many warriors, the roar of battle will rise against your people, so that all your fortresses will be devastated. When that day dawns, the king of Israel will be completely destroyed. You know, that sounds like what he said to the Edomites. Um, there is no if here. God is preparing to judge his people for their sins. You, me, the Israelites are liable to judgment. But right when, in Hosea, right when God is about to unleash his judgment, he looks at Israel and says this. This is immediately after what we just read. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. And you can go look in Hosea for yourself. This, these are uh, chapters 10 and 11. It's almost as if God changes his mind here. And there is no explanation for how God can jump from uh, when that day dawns, Israel will be destroyed, to when Israel was a child, I loved him. It sounds like he's really going to unleash his anger on his people. But do you hear it? He doesn't. God looks at his people and his heart melts. Like a father looks at a disobedient child and smiles, God looks at his people and his heart melts. He cannot and he will never give them up. 
He cannot and He will never give you up. Which leaves us with a question, obviously, because we've just spent this entire time talking about how we and the Israelites are as guilty as anybody. How can a good God, a God who is committed to the good of his world, who responds to the cries, will anyone deal with this? How can he accept us, an evil people? The Old Testament ends on this question. We don't get an answer until the cross. When God the Father unleashes the judgment that he'd stored up for you and me on his son, Jesus. There's our answer. God cannot give you and he cannot give me up. So he gave up his son instead. So when we ask rightly with fear before God, are you going to deal with me like that? Jesus' answer is, I have already dealt with it. This is what we mean when we say that Jesus died for our sins. It's not just an individual thing between us and Jesus. It's looking out over the entire world and seeing the evil outside and seeing the evil within us and realizing that on the cross, Jesus freed us from that. Jesus has already dealt with it. And this means that God is not mad at you. Yes, he will not let the guilty go unpunished, but your sin has already been punished. In Jesus, you do not hear when that day dawns, you will be destroyed. No, you hear when you're a child, I loved you. You can look at God and you can look at your life without fear or trepidation, knowing full well who you are, knowing full well what you've done and what has been done against you. And you can look at it without fear, but with relief. Your evil has already been dealt with. Your judgment day has already passed. You're free and you're okay. And y'all, this also does mean that one day evil will be rooted out of this world. That for all those who commit evil, remember that judgment day happens, whether it happened on the cross or whether it's happening in the future. If someone doesn't claim these things to be true, though God does not take any pleasure in doling out punishment, they will be punished. As they have done, it will be done to them. And y'all, this is difficult. This is incredibly difficult. When I talked earlier about how this should make us uncomfortable, that's because I'm assuming on some level we are all uncomfortable with this. And the encouragement there is not to get over it and trust him. The encouragement is actually to ask questions and trust him. Your father loves you and he loves his world. And there are things about God that stretch our imagination to the point where it feels like it's going to break. So if this is where it feels like you are, please continue to ask these questions. Please continue to ask how God can do this. Because the encouragement we have in the gospel is that God will deal with evil. The encouragement is that God has already dealt with you. So the question I want to end on is, is your God this big? Do you want to live with this God in his world forever? This is the gospel. And as always, that is our invitation to you. Let's pray. Father, these truths are difficult. Your word is sometimes very difficult. Um, we, ask that, we ask that you would do work that we cannot do. 
Like, would you open our eyes to see what's going on in your word? Would you open our eyes to see what's going on in our world? Would you not just let us sit in bubble wrap pretending that evil doesn't exist? Like, would you help us to see? Like, would you help us to see what you've done for us? We ask this in your name.